Welcome to the Knicks Wall Podcast, presented by Whistle Sports. I am your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me as always, the Whistle Sports Podfather, TKWOG, Mags Van Vliet, Kyle Maggio. What is up? What's going on, Mike? What's going on, people? Doing good, man. Doing a little stressful, man. I had to break up with Goya, but otherwise, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, you know, moderate week for Knicks news. Yeah. Moderate week. I, I'm surprised by how uh, relevant the headlines they've managed to stay while they don't play games for 10 months. It's uh, not in a bad way, just, uh, you know, a little bit of news every week, I guess. But Yeah, so this week were some head coaching interviews. Interesting enough, I thought Tom Thibodeau interviewed weeks before, but he interviewed for the Knicks. He is scheduled for a second interview. And all reports are harping on what we've known for the better part of a month, maybe even more than that, is Tom Thibodeau is the front runner. And when Woj tweeted it, I started to accept that it's going to happen. So, Kyle, what were your gut reactions on Thibodeau formally being interviewed? And pretty much, he's, I expect him to be hired soon, is what I'm thinking. I mean, we've been kind of thinking this since – just with the way the Knicks work, when certain names pop up at certain times, it's you already kind of know where they were going with this. So, I mean, Tibbs popped up back in what January, February. The whisper started. Right. Uh, right then, it was evident that they basically had decided what was going to happen. They were going to bring in, you know, Leon Rose. They're going to bring in Worldwide West. They're going to hire Thibodeau. Uh, they were going to use those three and connections they may have, and uh, th- that was going to be you know, they were tapping that network of guys, you know? So, I mean, I wasn't surprised with, with the Thibodeau front runner stuff because knowing this franchise, like we do, that seemed like what they were uh, planning on doing. We discussed this when we went over, you know, the various head coaching uh, interviews they were doing uh, for the coaching search and whether that was just due diligence or PR campaign. And uh, I, I did say it was a big PR campaign and not that that was a, a bad thing, because, again, worst-case scenario, you are still doing your due diligence. You know, it's just it was mostly for show when Thibodeau was your guy. So, again, no problem with that. It's a thing uh, you want the franchise to be doing. But it always seemed like Tibbs was their guy. Seems like he was pegged from the beginning. Uh, they just had to do, you know, their part with the rest of it. And, uh, you know, I, I guess we'll see what the rest of his staff's going to look like. But well, yeah, I'm, now that you mention it, Another familiar name came back or is coming back for a second interview, Mike Woodson. And it's not just for head coach that he's being considered. Apparently, he would be open to an assistant coach position. So that's kind of my road to accepting the Tibbs hire. I know I'm kind of being a brat because I want Atkinson so badly. But I've listened to you. I've listened to Eli. I've listened to others that, you know, say Tibbs isn't that bad, and he isn't. And having Woodson there is kind of like a co-head coach. I could sign up for that. Because my only problem with Thibodeau is it's defensive-minded, and 
I think the Knicks need more help on offense. So maybe Woodson can help tap into that. And if Thibodeau, Thibodeau's a smart guy. So if he just surrounds himself with other smart guys, especially offensive minded coaches, I I'm fine with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I want uh, the Thibodeau thing. I I've spoken my piece on at this point. I don't prefer him. He wouldn't be my first choice. I think while there's valid criticisms of him as there are for most coaches and especially for him with uh, warts as big as his are, you know, I, I get why people would be opposed, but to, to pretend that he hasn't had some kind of success um, is a little bit silly. Again, not advocate, not, not the top guy I wanted, but it's like, you know, I, I don't like that we do the, the extreme while he's not the guy that is going to change everything or the guy that we think is going to change everything. So that means he sucks and he's terrible. Like he's been mostly a winning coach in the NBA. However, he's done it with whoever he's done it with. He has been a part of developing some younger groups of guys. Like when he took over the bulls, they weren't exactly the oldest team in the world. You know, they were revolving around a young Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, Uol Dang, Jimmy Butler came up with him, you know? So I, Usually with these things, sometimes, you know, coaches are able to reinvent themselves, you know, and one of those stops along the way after they kind of bump along a little bit, they, they tend to stick around for a while because things are working. I, I'm hoping to, but I'll learn something. That's all I could really do. Uh, I'm not thrilled with the offensive side of things, um, but if it means that, you know, it's not the greatest play style, but RJ gets the ball a lot, you know, Mitchell Robinson starting and playing a lot. You know, he's going to rely on guys like Frank a little bit more. Like, again, there could be worse things in the world. I just hope that he's relying on the right guys, like those that I listed, versus another year of relying on, like, an Alfred Payton to be your, like, veteran leader out there. So just I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I, I think there's if, – if done right, this could go kind of better than people think it might, but I, I'm not, like, over the moon. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and it remains a great move for the Frank Nielakina stands, the Mitchell Robinson fans, and the R.J. Barrett fans. And whoever we get, like if we get Killian Hayes, now I kind of want Killian Hayes more than LaMelo just because of the defensive terror that the Knicks can really become under Thibodeau. But my the way I look at the hiring, because I'm, let's just talk like how it is. The way I look at it is this is going to hopefully lay the foundation, and then when this, these guys are ready, you bring in – a coach who's more to our needs because like I said, I really think offense is we need an offensive minded coach. Like my favorite Knicks team was Mike D'Antoni. I didn't really like I'm not a fan of these gritty defensive guys, especially when we have Mitch and Frank there already. I mean, I don't know. But if Thibodeau doesn't get the job, the second leading candidate is not Kenny Atkinson. It's not Mike Woodson, but reportedly Jason Kidd. And we talked about why Kidd would be a terrible hire a couple episodes ago. But <laughs> the fact that he's the second, go ahead. No, just, go ahead. I, no, I just, I just don't get it. That's all I really got. I just don't understand the Jason Kidd. I don't understand. I haven't seen any reports, thank God, Knicks fans. God bless you. Because if I started to see the Giannis or LeBron likes him narratives, I think so, I someone someone did someone did I forgot which which side it might have been uh, SI or, or something but I for, I forgot specifically who did it but I remember seeing it because 
uh, or maybe it was SNY. I don't know, but it was it wasn't like a report report. It was just a opinion piece, basically that you know they they would be hiring kid to do that. And I was just like, just we don't we don't need to do this. Um, and and I especially don't want them to do it because I feel like that's one reason why they would do it, which is why we always do things. It's always some like half-ass reach attempt, like wild reach attempt that doesn't pan out. So I, I just the, the whole fascination with Jason Kidd, I don't get it. And I've and you know this, I've always spoken highly about him as a player. He's one of my favorite point guards of all time. I have glowing memories of going to New Jersey and watching him ball with the Nets and Kenyon Martin and Vince Carter. A great basketball player. He helped us with a, a tremendous 54-win season in New York when he finally signed there. Um, I love Jason Kidd, the player, but at the same time, he hasn't really done anything as a coach, and there's always a lot of drama that comes with Jason Kidd off the court. And if we're talking about a rebuilding group of young men here, I, I don't really feel like that's a good fit off the court. Uh, I, I mean, for a multitude of issues, there's domestic violence reasons. Uh, there's, you know, when he was a player here, there's the drunk driving incident. I think he crashed his car. You know, there's there's some stuff. There's some baggage. Now, that doesn't mean he's just a, a horrible, you know, whatever, you know, shouldn't have a job. At, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I just don't think this is right here. And I don't get the, There's always this big push for Jason Kidd, right? Like in L.A. It was the same thing. Remember, he was like rumored to maybe be getting the head coaching job. And then Frank Vogel was like the guy. And everyone was like, well they're just you know doing you know frank vogel is going to be like the the scapegoat you know and then they're going to just let jason kidd take the reins and then then there's this big push for him in new york i don't really i just don't understand it i don't understand it fans don't even really seem to love it the way they even did like a mark jackson or a, uh you know one of the other less popular higher rumor uh you know names being rumored i just don't really understand this for a multitude of reasons and why it keeps coming up and why it keeps getting pressed i don't know what he's done as a coach to really warrant this, you know, if that makes sense, I just don't really, I don't get it. I'm not even being mean at this point. I just, I truly don't get like the draw, the appeal. It would have to be that he was a superstar so he could connect to superstar players on a higher level because superstar players are the hardest ones to get along with. And the ones you ultimately do have to get along with like Kenny Atkinson found out in a rough way in Brooklyn. So for that, the argument itself is valid, but if you're going to go that route, there's, Tyrone Lue is a much better option. And kid, everywhere he's went, you mentioned when we talked about it the first time, he discouraged, discouraged Giannis from shooting. How stupid can you be? Yes. And there was a quote in uh, Mike Vorkoff's piece. I'm sorry if I butcher your name, Mike. But Giannis was saying, like, oh, how he swears by kid, which he does like kid. But when you hear the quote, it's like, yeah, he beat us up pretty well. He did all this. But I came from poverty and Greece. It's like, that's not exactly the endorsement I'm thinking of when I want my next head coach. It's just, I, and I get it. Like if Giannis likes him, like that's, that does mean something obviously. And there is something to be said about kid letting him play on ball a little bit more earlier in, in his career. Um, but again, I just don't, for example, like to me, there's a big drawback because Giannis is just now working back towards resp- uh, respectability with his three. Right. His rookie season, he shot like 133s at 35%. And then Jason Kidd comes in and goes, no, don't do that anymore. It's like he was already a, a pretty decent three-point shooter. Like, what, are we, what do you mean don't shoot threes? So, like, yes, it's good that he let him go free, but then he took away the most important shot he could have had in the best time ever in the NBA to have it. 
I mean, it's it's almost sacrilegious to see, have seen where the league was heading and then made him not do that if you were going to develop him as a guard or a ball handler. So, I, again, it's like I I just don't get it with him. You know, I, I really just don't get it. I don't think there's a real – other than you're, you're doing the big swing for Giannis again, I, I don't really understand why you would need to do – the song and dance. Like I was just hoping his name popped up, like, you know, like the Mike Woodson thing popped up and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well that's it. I was hoping, but that's not what happened. It became, well, you know, they're going to interview kid. Well, kid might be a a contender here. Well, he's not the the guy, but you know, if Thibodeau doesn't get it, it's going to be like, what, why, how does he keep impressing people with what? I, I don't understand how this is working for him. I really think it's the celebrity. It's that, I had the same problem when it initially broke. It's you can't separate Jason Kidd the player from Jason Kidd the coach. And Jason Kidd the coach is a dime a dozen, if that. I just think there's always better options. Like like even if you if you don't like Kenny Atkinson all that much, right? Mm-hmm. You at least see a guy who was actively playing and developing guys, you know, and, and you he got different results. It was a mixed bag, but overall that team, the Nets improved with him, right? I understand that D'Angelo Russell said some other things about him since then, but I digress. But my point is, I, I just don't know how you can see guys like like a guy like that have success with multiple multiple players like so recently, and then just be like, ah, give me give me Jason Kidd. I, I just I just feel like there's so many like even even the Spurs coaching tree options that that are uh, reportedly available right now, uh, not just Becky but the other guy. Like I, I just I feel like that there's a there's a there's like seven or eight guys, ten guys probably, that I would want them to interview before Jason Kidd. You know what I mean? Right. And it's kind of the same old in terms of doing, the due, doing their due diligence with lesser-known names, but ultimately just going for the flashy names. Like Thibodeau is a well-known name. Jason Kidd, self-explanatory. And then it kind of fell off a cliff because Woodson – I would say Woodson's probably the third leading candidate because I haven't heard – any connection between Atkinson and New York since reports way back where there were some supporters within the Knicks front office. But after that, it's been nothing. But what was Russell's gripe with Atkinson? I didn't, I didn't hear about that. So a lot of people obviously attribute D'Angelo Russell's Brooklyn success and a couple of the other players to, you know, Kenny Atkinson and whatever system he was operating within and, uh, I guess D'Lo pushed back on that, basically saying, like, no, like, he wasn't actively looking to develop me. Actually, it was quite the opposite. He was sitting on the bench until, like, you know, mo- I forgot who was there at the time, but, uh, like, two or three guys got hurt, and then he was, like, forced to play D'Angelo a little bit more. And then all of a sudden D'Angelo was balling, and then he couldn't stop playing it, basically. is it, Was it what it was sounding like? I'm paraphrasing, but that that's mostly what it – it's, like, basically, like, oh, like, th- don't – don't let him fool you. Like it wasn't him building me up. Like he didn't realize what he had type of thing. Like he stumbled onto me. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. so again, and I, you take that with the grain of salt as much as I'm a D low fan, uh, you know, Dinwiddie has turned his career into something pretty damn substantial uh, being in Brooklyn under Kenny under for this period of time, he's had, you know, a similar output to D low. Um, on top of that, you know, Karis LeVert has had an excellent start to his career when he's been healthy. So I just don't I – don't, I don't know. I, I, I put more stock in the Atkinson thing. I think there, there's a lot to what he was doing there, but it is what it is. 
Yeah, because if you want to talk about specific effects he had on players, that's one discussion. But they were noticeably – like, they changed their whole style, and it worked eventually. Like, shifting to all threes pretty much. That's something the Knicks just haven't been able to do. It's always – said, oh, we're going to bring in a new culture. We're going to bring all this. And at the end of the day, it's usually us staring at iso ball. They play defense for a couple weeks. We get excited, and then it just falls to shit again. And it's just a hamster wheel with. So speaking of things falling to shit and the hamster wheel, after the 54-win season where we finally felt good about ourselves and the team and said, hey, you know what? Maybe this Carmelo thing is going to work. Maybe they finally figured it out. Uh, I think we'll all remember that they traded for Andrea Borgani and then uh, everything, you know, went in effect to shit after that. And um, something that we found out over the last week was that partly why this trade and the, uh, the, inev- the, the firing of uh, the, the GM, uh, Glenn Grunwald at the time, was partly because of World Wide West. It was... You know, apparently he's had the ear of Jim's Dolan and the Knicks for 15 or so years uh, to differing degrees. This isn't to say he makes all the decisions or he's some puppet master, but, you know, just uh, an open ear of advice, uh, you know, to James Dolan here. But it seems like right as they were basically coming off the 54-win season, he was listening to Wes about moves more than Glenn Grunwald, and then they made the Bargani trade, and then Glenn was released immediately after. Uh, that in the report from the Post here, it also mentions that uh, William Wesley recommended bringing back Steve Mills, citing stronger connections. Like, so we we can't sit here and be like, "Oh, the World Wide West thing is a slam dunk." Is the only thing I wanted to say on this pod, and we had been cautioning against it, not against it. But just let's not – you can't just call everything a slam dunk because you want the guy to be successful here or it's a, it's a fun name. And I get it. It's World Wide West. I know we all like World Wide West in theory, right? But, like, we, we don't know what's going to happen other than some of the stuff we do already know. And part of what we know is that he had Dolan's ear right before the Bargani trade when it happened and then in letting – Go Glenn Gornwald, who had put that 54-win team together. So, to me, that's a little bit frustrating. Obviously, it makes me rethink things a little bit. Um, but this is what it happens when you when you mess with agencies and people that want their guys. And we'll see what happens. Hopefully, the second time around, it, it works out. We have no choice but to hope for the best now. But it's just something that you got to think about when we're being objective about the team hiring people, it's something you have to at least remember. There are about two or three unforgivable moments over the last 20 years with this franchise. And Bargnani, I would say, ranks probably two. I would still put the Porzingis trade uh, yep. number one, which Un- is undoubtedly also done by Steve Mills. So, my hope is World Wide West was sabotaging so he could one day take over because if he thought this was going to be a good move, my God, I am just completely out on this guy if, that, if he thinks that's a right move because the trade itself was idiotic and Bargnani wasn't like – I never got the vibe of Bargnani being misused in Toronto. I just thought he wasn't as good as a first overall pick and I think that's all it was. So to give up – 
what did they end up giving? They gave up a first round pick. It was it was like a first round pick. Um, uh, not Fields. Novak was in there. Canby. Yep. Just a disgusting trade on every level imaginable. So I really, I really hope that West was just directly sabotaging with plans to eventually take over the Knicks and grab the glory of turning the team around because that is baffling. Yeah. So again, it's it's not a direct causation that Wes caused the Barks thing, but the chatter around it is that you know they were working to get Glenn Grunwald out of there, and right at that same time, the Barks trade was happening, and we knew we know at that time that he was listening to Wes, you know, more than he was listening to uh, Glenn Grunwald. So it, you know, sometimes you just try to put the things together, and it is what it is. But again. Uh, just got to hope that sometimes with the ag- these agency things, um, you get lucky and you take the big swings and it works out. And it's not just little uh, awful things, you know, where you're doing favors for players and things like that. It doesn't really benefit the basketball team. So we shall see because we don't really have any other option anymore. So uh, I digress, but always just want to be cautious with, uh, you know, what we're bring it to the table here and uh, another note with that is the lavar ball saga is seemingly never ending um which is good for us in a way because i would like uh this instance to happen lamella ball forcing his way to uh, new york mike what do you think i'm a fan i would like to see it i've settled on three people i've actually denny from israel shout out to nick denny has taken over as my number one spot of the guy I want the most. Irrational, maybe. Prison of the moment, definitely. But LaMelo's right behind him, as well as Killian Hayes. And I was just talking about wanting to see playing style change because I'm fed up with iso ball. No matter who the coach is, if you have LaMelo there, the change, the play is going to change automatically because he's just not an iso ball type of point guard. I would love it. Mitchell Robinson would definitely love it. And so would RJ Barrett because he would finally have a guard who wants to get him the ball instead of just Julius Randle. So Lamar, Lavar was able to do it with the Lakers, which is pretty crazy in hindsight because Lonzo ball was nowhere near the second best player in that draft. Nope. So, I mean, Hey, I don't think it's that hard. He just has to get the Pistons to pass. I think every other team is not interested. So I think it's, much more doable than the Lakers was because he doesn't really have to pitch. He has to be a pain in the ass for one team. It's possible, but I always like to think that there's teams out there that are going to do the BPA thing, and you never know who's going to win the lotto anymore, as we saw with the Pelicans, the freaking Pelicans getting Zion, which in hindsight I feel like you can make a good conspiracy for, you know, like a little frozen envelope. Like they lose Anthony Davis and they get Zion. Very very mysterious how that worked out. But anyway – uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I never really lock into one guy anymore either. I'm, I'm always kind of, you know how I am. It's like I two, three guys. Like I, I like Denny a lot too. I've been watching a lot of film. I Good, smart players who can score and play make. That's all I want. That's all I want. And I'll take, I'll take my chances. He seems like he could do that in the league. So we'll we shall see, but he's on my short list too. I'd like to see it. But uh, LaMelo, I think the upside's there, and I, I do worry that, you know, no matter who 
you know, ends up getting, uh, you know, ends up landing in the top five or so, they might just take the swing. They might just take him for his name or the upside or they know somebody might want him. He's a he's going to be a good asset to have regardless, you know. So I never want to feel like teams are, you know, everybody's going to be disinterested. I don't want to get my hopes up, but we'll see. My, my one fear is the Knicks making a stupid trade to make sure it happens. That's my one fear with this. I don't want the Knicks to do anything. I want let LeVar do all the heavy lifting because I'm looking at the top 10 now. Even if there was a Pelicans jump, I really don't see many teams. Like San Antonio just doesn't fit LaMelo at all. Washington, Washington's probably the biggest threat, I think, or Chicago. So I think, I think it's very easy for LeVar to do the heavy lifting on this. Just don't make a stupid trade because as great as LaMelo would be, I think Cade Cunningham, who is in the 2021 class, that's the guy you give a godfather offer for. I think LaMelo would be great, but just don't do anything stupid, which can never be ruled out with this team. Yeah, I mean, I'm still angry they didn't do the Godfather offer and the Trey Luca draft oh. because, to me, I thought you had – they needed to get one of those guys. That, that was all that I – I don't know if we remember this take of mine. I only wanted them to get one of those guys. They had to get whoever – the better playmaker left available was from the two of them. You never and and whoever was going to fall a little bit wasn't going to go one or two or three. But like they needed to go make the move to get him. And I I thought they needed to do it, and they didn't get either of those guys. And I was very upset. That was the only time I had felt very strongly that they needed to move up, whatever means necessary to get one of those guys. And they did. So that that one frustrates me. So, but I'm with you that. I don't agree that this is the time to do the Godfather package. I think you can save that for another year or so. But I mean, I just need to see where they're going to fall. That's that's why I have trouble with the draft stuff these days is because I felt like it used to be a little bit easier. Like you kind of knew where you were going to land because the, the percentages were so strong, you know. Yeah. You, you kind of knew like, all right, we're going to land one of these two or three spots. We kind of know who's going to be there, who's going to pick ahead of us. And we, we can we can make the very cloudy image of what – those first couple of picks are going to be, but we can't really, I feel like last year it was just, oh, that was, <laughs> it was, it was chaos. I'm like, I don't even understand how this is happening. It was like the, the Knicks make sense at three. How in God's name did the Pelicans get to one? Lakers to four was what screwed up. I still remember watching this live and like my heartbeat was racing when five came out when it was the Cavs. I was like, okay, we're in the top four. Like that's it. And then the Lakers came out. I was like, all right, that's kind of bullshit, but at least they're not there. And then just see the Knicks come out at three. It's like, why? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. That's I can't well, until I know the draft order. Like that, then I can start wrapping my mind around things. But right, right now, with these percentage, like I feel like even with the way they finished the season, they weren't like outright the worst team in the league. So like we we could end up kind of anywhere right now. And it's just like I just I don't want to like talk myself into Lamelo, and then we're like in a scary situation and then it's like well i wasted six months getting my hopes up for that for no reason because i know they're not going to trade up for him another reason it's good to not get connected to anyone in this draft is i feel like it's a pretty level eight playing field i don't see any prospect even anthony edwards who i'm not a fan of particularly i feel like there's no real separation between these guys like last year there was a clear tier of zion ja and then rj yeah and then after rj was just so 
It's not going to happen with this draft. It's pretty level. So I would be just as happy with Denny. I would be just as happy with Killian. So please don't do anything stupid. But that brings us to the last topic. It also involves Mello. Ian Bagley, SNY, friend of the program, friend of the brand, said that there is reports that Camaro would like to end his career in New York. We covered a little bit why his first stint in New York ended poorly. Andrea Bargnani was kind of the canary in the coal mine of the downfall of the Mellow era. So since it didn't end perfectly or as close to perfect as possible, would you be open to a LaMelo, uh, not a LaMelo, Carmelo reunion? Um, I'm conflicted on this one, to be honest with you. And you know, I'm the biggest Carmelo fan and it's, this one's tough for me because I, I understand that guy. And I understand that every, every time we do the buy-in thing, if he just buys in, if he just does, whatever. And it seems like, honestly, for the most part, he does that in Portland, you know, and I think actually, if we're being fair, he did do it in OKC because I was checking out the uh, shot profiles. Um, It's just in OKC for whatever reason, he just shot like shit. Like he got lots of catch and shoot look uh, opportunities. He got lots of transition three opportunities and he just wasn't shooting the ball well versus, you know, doing a little bit better since he got back into the league. And I'm I'm saying all that to say is like I would like to see the mellow homecoming. If they re-sign him, I'm going to be very happy about it. I'm biased. That's going to make me feel good. I'm going to talk myself into him being a mentor, him helping out, you know, a Kevin Knox or whoever is going to be, you know, even even an RJ. You know, uh, he remember he was a, a very good mentor to both Kristaps Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr., who he's still very close with, Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, so it's like. The, the good mentor thing is, is objectively true. Uh, guys gravitate towards him. Guys do like him. That whole team cancer thing is a lot of nonsense, and it has been for a while. Guys speak glowingly of him. He's not a vocal, in-your-face, a rah-rah type leader, but he, he goes out there and he plays, and his teammates always seem to like and respect him. So I would like it, but I do have concerns with his play style, with what we want for some of these guys. You know, um, we'll see. I guess, but I know we're always talking about we don't want more isolation ball. I know Melo's done a better job fitting in, but I just don't know how much sense it makes at this point. If they're going to be trying to empower R.J. Barrett and kind of move forward with what is a more modern offense, I, I don't know. But I I would like to see it. I would take my chances at the end of the day because I'm biased. I just have, I have, I have a couple concerns is all. My only concern is what would be his role because it seems like some people think, oh, Mello, oh, I keep on saying LaMelo, I guess that's meant to be. The Carmelo reunion would mean him starting at small forward next year. If that's the case, I'm out on that. Like, I don't want that at all. If he's starting at small forward, I, would, I'm, I don't like that. Like, that's just disgusting. Like, people that are saying, like, oh, it's going to be great against, like, no, he's not. I and, mean, like, if he's happy playing 15 to 20 minutes a night. It, sh- it should be the Wade Miami thing. If you're right, gonna do, exactly. if you, it, it should be the exact playbook from the Wade Miami thing. Let him be. Wade was basically a super sixth man. People forget, which is what Melo actually signed up to be in Houston before that ended unceremoniously. But Wade basically he didn't start, to my knowledge, right? He just came off the bench. Yep, and, and he started great moments. And, and he had great moments because he just busted his ass when he was out there. He would give you like twenty good minutes a night, twenty twenty five good minutes a night. 
and he would give you some good that's it he's playing bench units and he, he's still eating and being as effective as he can there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that so I, I don't the only way that you could sell me a mellow starting is if I don't know how this Julius Randle situation ends, but if you start mellow at the four for some reason, then obviously I, I can talk myself into it because that's where he's been most successful in his career. But it just doesn't make much sense to me. I think it, it can only really make sense off the bench. You know, I, I think at this point it, it really only could. And I hope that he understands that. But if this yeah. is a CAA thing, he might be starting. That might be part of this too. Oh, so. Well. See, if that's the case, that's why I'm very focused on Gallinari reunion if you're going to go the reunion route because I don't think Carmelo is really – I can't – just imagine Carmelo lining up opposite of Kawhi Leonard to start a basketball game right now. It, no, it's just it, like – it's just it, a it's negative. A, it's a, it, no, look, it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's a, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is. Like, it's gross negligence, and even Carmelo would tell you that. Like, it's not fair. You can't do that. You just can't. Like, at least if you're going to start and give him a chance, put him at the four where he can body with guys. Like, give him a fighting chance. It doesn't make sense. You're just going to air him out. You're going to make him look bad. You're going to make us look bad. This whole thing's going to end terribly again. Let this man eat off the bench, beat up some bench guys, because he, he can still bully. We see it right now. He's in excellent shape. He's excellent shape. He's still playing well. So let him come off the bench and do that. That's it. That's it. And if, you're gonna, if you have to start him – that you got to figure out a way to bring Randall off the bench or Randall's got to go, and then he's got to start at the four. That's the only way it right. makes sense, not the three. And I'm a Randall – I mean, I'm not that big of a Randall fan, I should say, as a Nick. But even the harshest of Randall critics can't possibly want to see Carmelo start. They it, just it, do, it just doesn't make sense. Like, And, again, I love that guy. A homecoming would be sick, and it, it would help with PR – it would help. It would look good. It would give everybody a, a nice Knicks feel-good thing for once to talk about. You you could not do anything. You couldn't say anything about it. You know what I mean? All you could do is make fun of the Knicks for showing, you know, uh, affection for a former great player that they had. Which they haven't done. Which they haven't which done. Is, which, which, which is you, important. Which you could say, like, oh, now they're going over the top. He doesn't deserve it. Okay, but you could have your bitter arguments, right? But at least it would look good for the organization that they're doing something for a beloved player around the league. Because he is. So. Yeah, can we say they did that? Because I don't think they did it. I think Ewing ended pretty unceremoniously, especially compared to what he did for the team. Yeah. Bernard King's jersey still not retired, which is gross. So you can go back and Charles Oakley, I mean, now that he kind of ruined it, but before then that was gross. So if they are going to do the mellow thing, I would, now that you mentioned the weight idea, commit to that full percent, hundred percent, let him be the super sub retire, have a whole goal. The book is right there. Yeah, just go all out, retire seven if you want. I mean, I don't know how you feel on it. I'm fine with it. I, I, I mean, what are we? What are we? This is what I ask all this time on this podcast. What are we doing, right? What are we doing? If we can't retire seven after just a tragic first quarter of the century, for the most part, you know, I don't even need to see how the next five years go to know that what happened the first twenty is the next five aren't going to get us out of it. You know what I mean? A terrible start. The least we could do is for the one dude who wanted to be here and re-signed here and tried to win here. And, you know, Phil Jackson and Co. and, and Dolan had some other plans for his uh, his grand success here. But they, they signed – the only thing I'm going to say before we move on, I don't want to go on a long tangent here. They signed a, a, a elite score in the game to be an elite score in the game. And he was an elite score in the game. That was it. That was the deal with Carmelo Anthony. You know what you were getting when you signed Carmelo Anthony. 
It's the team's job to then build around the elite score that they offered the money to. And they didn't do that. End of the day. End of the story. So I don't feel like we need to hold things against them, you know, for maybe all the team's success. When you look at how starkly things went after 2012-2013 with the clear front office moves that are being made. So just use your brains. Uh, Don't penalize the player. Let's once not force ourselves to be miserable and just – if that's what they're planning to do with the farewell tour that ends with the jersey retirement, then maybe let's just shut up and enjoy it for once because we don't get to have nice or heartwarming things ever happen with this franchise. Yeah, I can't think of the last heartwarming moment from this franchise. I really can't. It literally might have been the 54-1 season. And and the reason I say that is because when you saw the you know MSG buzzing for the playoff games, the first couple back at the Garden, and it was like against the Celtics and – were actually good in beating them. And that to me was like when you felt like, ah, maybe the tide is turning for us. And like, that was like my finally, like my first sense of relief. Like I could let my guard down. Like, look at us. We made it to the playoffs. We're winning. We're beating the Celtics. This is amazing. Like, like I feel like everyone kind of got that sense of like that, that finally, like, like our terrible pessimistic Knicks hearts, like the ice started to melt away a little bit. And then just as quickly got ripped out from us. So I feel like that that season was like the last feel-good moment we had, other than what, maybe the early innocence and emergence of Chris Tapps? Yeah, that, I would say so. It, it was, it's basically those two things that were like, oh, look, these good things. Ha- oh, okay, never mind. That was the first season that, I mean, for us, it's always been appointment viewing, 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., whatever it was during the weekday when Knicks came on. During that season, and even Chris Stapps early on, that was when like my other friends started to pay attention and started to watch the games as me. So like, it, it was fun. It was just like everyone was discussing the Knicks for ones instead of just our sect of friends that actually follow the Knicks, like the diehards. So it's just, I think Mel doesn't get enough credit for that. And we don't give the team nearly enough crap for all the bad that they did to surround him with talent. Obviously he forced that trade. Obviously. Obviously. But, the amnesty, everything, that whole argument gets thrown out the thing out the window when they refused to amnesty Amari instead of, you know, just amnestying Amari, not signing Billups or not picking up his option. Well, it's the other just, thing too is all they had to do was not sign Tyson Chandler and wait for Chris Paul, and then they signed Tyson Chandler, who I love Tyson Chandler a lot, and I also understand that he was directly responsible with Melo for the fifty-four win season seeing as he was a, you know, just coming off a DPOI season. Um, I mean, he was incredible again that year. He was the five, Melo was the four. They were a, a filthy front court combo. Filthy, right? So yeah. I love that. But, like, he was still just a high-level starter at, at best. You know what I mean? Like a high-level defender, starter, and that was it. And obviously the field goal percentage was good. Everything was good. But – Chris Paul was available. And Chris Paul, as if we know anything about Carmelo and the teams he's been on that have been successful, they've had some kind of decent veteran steady hand of a point guard, right? We saw it with the 54-win season with the platoon of veteran hands we had guiding him. We saw it, uh, you know, he's playing pretty well now with Dame. Early, uh, earlier in his career with uh, Chauncey Billups, he played with Iverson for a few years. And those were all good, successful seasons that he was having. You know what I mean? He He's always needed a good point guard to play with. He's never had a really good point guard. And then we could have gave him one, and we gave him Tyson Chandler, which wasn't the worst thing in the world. Tyson wasn't responsible for everything going poorly, but 
again, you could have had a superstar, or at least it was that was the the rumor. That like yeah. that's one of the the one of the things that I see Knicks fans go back to is like that that could have happened. So, and that didn't even bother. What bothered me is the day before they amnesty Billups, they picked up his option. His four, he had a fourteen oh, yeah. million dollar option, picked it up and then cut him. Are you stupid? Yeah, it I would have kept was, Billups. Yeah, it was just very wasteful. It, it was just very. But but again, I just it, it is what it is. And while we're talking about boneheaded moves, before we get out of here, seems Damian Dotson is as good as gone. In New York, um, what what are your thoughts on this? I, I think we kind of more or less went over our Dotson viewpoint in the last episode, but uh, I mean, now that we've kind of seen the writing on the wall, what are, what are you feeling like, buddy? It's just exactly what we said last week. It's just not recognizing the talent you have in house, and just oh, it feels like they're always looking out for talent instead of looking within. So Frank's the last man standing from the Jackson era officially. And I, it's just really sad. And I'm happy that Rose at least acknowledges that Frank is good. So I guess that's a small step. But Dotson is just a reminder that this team has a long way to go in terms of recognizing the talent that they've kind of helped develop because Dotson's homegrown, always solid when he entered the game. He, there was never a moment where I was like, why is Damian Dotson on the floor? Never. So I agree with you, obviously. Um I feel very much the same way about Dotson. And overall, the Knicks kind of always tripping over themselves with these decisions. But I will say, if they are going to do a move like this with Dotson and they kind of have made other things known, like the Kevin Knox thing, it makes me wonder and think if they're really trying to reset this roster in a big way by letting you know the three guys that they're going to keep, which by all intents and purposes is Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett were the two shoe-ins, and it seems we, we've learned kind of quickly that they like Frank Nielakina. So it seems like those three are kind of safe, right? But now we know Trier is gone. Dotson's basically gone. Knox, they don't like. We, we know this. This isn't just Kyle hating on Kevin Knox. This is – it was rumored that they don't like him, and he's not really in their plans. And you've heard some of the – seen some of the reports basically wondering about his future here now already, and the writing is starting to be on the wall. So. I ask you, if that's the third player already who's a younger, you know, or a formerly younger piece of the, the core here or somebody we wanted to see the Knicks play, is this indicative of more moves coming up? Is, is, there, is this finally they're going to really reshuffle the deck here and really just strip this thing down to bare bones and go, okay, those are our three guys that we're going to keep and everybody else is pretty much exp- expendable and we're looking to lock and load, get these guys out of here because – it seems like for a team that's not going to play for 10 months, they're moving kind of quick. Right. And also that ties in with the head coaching hire that they wanted. They vaguely said they want to get it done within the next two weeks. So it feels like they're ramping up to prepare for next season, which is great. In addition to those three, I would keep Knox in the mix, at least for this year. You got to give him at least one chance because last year that was a travesty. He literally was half the man he was, as Corbo said way back when. Minutes slashed perfectly in half, points per game slash perfectly in half he deserves another chance and i'm not a big Knox person either iggy Braz is another one i would also throw into the mix he's kind of just i forget about him myself just because he just toiled away in westchester and played well by the way so i would add those guys into the mix maybe even kenny wooten see what you got there i would start trimming the fat like alfred payton start I, feeling the waters on dennis smith yeah i 
I, I agree with you on like the vets, like the vets should obviously go like, but we've even heard stuff too about them. Like Bobby Portis is likely not to return. Right. You know, really, yeah. Right. So, so there, that's another one. So that's kind of like what four that we're kind of certain about that aren't going to come back. So it seems like we're starting to get an idea. Like they want a pretty significant of this uh, portion of this roster gone to some degree. So that kind of does match too with that report about them wanting to kind of turn quickly back into a playoff contender as the Knicks often do, because again, if you're only going to keep those couple of important kids and you're going to retool with the other kids on the roster, like I like to be honest with you, bro, I think Iggy's done. I don't think they're going to ever play Iggy. I'm just being hundred percent. Really? Honest. Why? Oh, I don't. It's good, man. I, I don't think they're ever going to play Iggy. I'm just, this is just my, my personal That's take. Sad. Well, if, if you, if you, draft him in the second round like they made the trade to draft him right they get him and then he goes he's like a stash right directly and they need shooting in the worst way and he can't even they don't even consider bringing him up even with Dotson when they were doing that when in uh, Dotson's first couple seasons Dotson was playing in the G League but he was always playing in the big league too like he this guy is a shooter and he wasn't even sniffing the floor that just does not bode well for him regardless of how you feel about him as a prospect that's all that I'm saying the, the way that they've used him, it does not inspire confidence. That Calling up Kenny Wooten to never give him a minute of playing time does not inspire confidence as much as I like and want Kenny to play. This is just my own personal feelings on the actions the Knicks have given me. So I just don't think that those guys are going to be – I don't think they're already part of anything that's being planned. It's just my hunch. I, I, really, I really think those guys, in addition to the guys that we've listed already that have either gone or about to be, I, I think that kind of shows you like – just, just again, actions. Have they treated those guys? Have they prioritized those guys? Have they utilized those guys? It, it's, I, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about saying that I think that they're actually going to get a chance, like, at least not because I feel like they're, gonna, they're not going to want to admit their mistake, you know? They're going to let him play so he can embarrass himself or whatever. <laughs> I, and I'm being serious. Like, it, it's, it's sad, too. Like, but that's what's going to happen. They're not going to trade him right now or – you know, they're going to let him go out there for a little bit anyway in that third season. And if he doesn't turn it around quick, then he's probably gotten. That's just the name of the game. That how That's how it goes. But I, the, Iggy, Kenny Wooten, these are guys that already weren't – these weren't high draft picks. You didn't have to play them. And you, you found no reason to use them in a year where you were just stumbling along and needed some help. So I, why would you – why would you even consider them now? And what bothers me about that is you have Mitchell Robinson, who they – who Leon Rose himself – put as him and RJ as like the building blocks. Mitchell Robinson was a second round pick. Why the hell would you not at least, and Icky Brass has um, experience with RJ. So that's just familiarity that they never even tapped into last season, which pissed me off. I You got to give him at least a shot. Maybe Knox and I mean, maybe him or Knox have to go if it comes down to that. Maybe, I don't know. I would not also be surprised if I see all these names that we just mentioned in a Chris Paul trade. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. I would. Oh, go ahead. No, I would just it's. I would keep uh, the three guys: Frank, RJ, Mitch. Fine, that's your core core. Just don't rule out even Dennis Smith. Give them a chance. Well, they did it. Like they've all been put in shitty ass positions to succeed. Like not one of them was saying like, "Oh wow, well you put him in the best position he could, and he couldn't do it." None of them have, can say that. Yeah. And and I, I'm gonna do a little bit of standing for my Dennis Smith Jr. pal here so I can get back on my soapbox at least one time for him. It's easier to say Dennis Smith Jr. needs to play as a, as a point guard prospect 
than it is to say Kevin Knox needs to play. And everyone's going to yell at me. But hear me out. Okay, hear me out. Kevin Knox can play 30 minutes in a game as a stretch four. And he can score three points and barely touch the ball, right? And that's just sometimes the ball's not moving his way or his shot isn't falling, right? Because he's mostly a catch-and-shoot guy. That's what we've learned. He's either going in for a dunk or a layup or he, he has to be wide open shooting. That's who Kevin Knox is right now. He's not, he's not a shot creator. He's not really a good ball handler. He's basically – he needs to take two steps towards the rim and he's jumping or he's got to shoot a jump shot. So even if Kevin Knox is playing a lot, sometimes like it's still just motions, you know, like he's still just going up and down the floor trying to wait for an open shot. It's different than when like a Dennis Smith Jr. is out there and he's got to play with, okay, well now I have a Mitchell Robinson. I got to get him the ball. We could, we could, you know, pick and roll. I can, and don't forget those guys actually have pretty good chemistry when they were actually healthy after that trade. Like they actually played really well together. Dennis Smith Jr. Mitchell Robinson. You have a guy, RJ, who is a, a smart playmaker on the wing. Like, you know, these are guys that are good in transition. These are guys that want to run. RJ and Mitchell want to run. Dennis Smith Jr. wants to run. Like, a, a point guard needs the ball in his hands to be able to make those decisions and get familiar with his teammates and the speed of the game and the flow of the game, especially as he's growing in the NBA. Not giving him those touches is really detrimental to me, worse than, like, a Kevin Knox not playing. That's just sort of my, like, just take based on the responsibilities. Like, they both got to play, but it's like – even more so, like, the guy who needs to be running an offense. Because if not, why, why was this guy taken eighth overall? Why would you make him the, 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 the focal point of the KP trade coming back? And everybody who's been debating me for years, like, since the, the trade that he wasn't the centerpiece coming back, is lying to themselves. It was not the picks. I told you guys immediately that those picks were terrible and going to be. Then they've been – they've looked worse every single day, and everyone's kind of resigned to it. Those picks are terrible. The centerpiece of the trade was, oh, we have a young point guard that we can – look, we don't have KP anymore, but we finally have the, ex- the exciting young point guard. And then he wasn't starting the next season. So you, you got to let that kid play. He needs to dribble. He needs to, to get out there. He's, he's a, a fast-paced kid. He plays instinctively. If he's going out there running bullshit half-court sets, you know, off the bench like Alfred Payton would, it's useless. Let him go out there and dribble. You know, to me, it, it, it makes a lot more of a difference. but. Quickly, rank these three players in terms of you, who you think deserves to stick around. DSJ, Iggy, or Knox? Just, I've seen enough with the other two. I'm, I'm fine. I, I, this is a, a DSJ. Because, look, at the end of the day, the other thing, too, is you can always find a shooter, right? There's always going to be a shooter available somewhere. Maybe it's not going to be the perfect fit, but you're always going to be able to find a guy who could shoot, right? Like, Dotson, for no reason, is going to be available from the Knicks, right? They need shooting. But he's, he's a shooter who's going to hit the market, right? So there's always a shooter available. Always. But the guards, you never really can predict, especially in New York. We never have a guard. We cannot predict that we're – we cannot, you know, know for certain we're going to get a LaMelo ball in the draft. We don't know for certain that we're going to get any of the top guys that we want for that position in the draft. We don't know that we're going to get a Fred Van Lee in the summertime. But what you do know is you have a point guard who was drafted, what, eighth overall? two years ago, who had high expectations, who went healthy, has looked pretty damn good, and last year struggled with, you know, some tragedy and some injuries. I don't see why you wouldn't let him start. The other two have had kind of their, I don't know. I mean, Iggy hasn't, but 
I just, uh, you know, Knox hasn't shown nearly enough. I, I just feel like there's at least been enough flashes over time with Dennis Smith. But I think the point guard, just off of the position and just off of the Knicks never have anyone, I feel like that's the guy you you really can't let go until you are 100% certain you know that he's a bum. I get it. I would, I mean, I hope the Jazz and Phoenix front offices are thinking like you. But I'm kind of over it in terms of, I think, the worse he plays, I think more and more people are going to catch on to what we've been saying the whole time that he was the centerpiece, not cap. Well, cap space was the ultimate return, but he was the centerpiece of that Porzingis trade. And I have a feeling Dallas is going to keep thriving and the Knicks are going to, at least in the immediate future, are going to keep toiling away in relevancy. So I would put DSJ on the bottom of that list because of that. Knox, I'm kind of good on. I really think Iggy Braz's ability to score could be used on this team I don't want him to be a starter I mean I would be open to it but just as a bench piece I think he deserves at least one season in New York but ideally ideally they would give these guys even if it's for a quarter of a season some kind of run that's how I don't know like you know how how it's supposed to be right in the the 2017-18 season guys like Kadeem were getting a lot of run that were just sitting in the G League right this is how you like experiment and you find guys. And I feel like, yeah, you're paying them. Yeah. I feel like now you're just kind of going like, like, like now you have Iggy, not only is he in your G league system, but he's also, you, you drafted him. Like, aren't you a little interested in seeing what he looks like at the NBA level? And I feel like the issue is we always talk about it, why it makes sense. Cause it does make sense, but they always never seem to have interest in it. Is that's what I always try to remind myself when we talk about these things. Like they have shown no interest in it, in Iggy whatsoever, no interest. If we're being honest with ourselves, they drafted him. We all said, "Oh, he can shoot a little bit. Maybe we'll see it." Stuffed him in the G League. Never saw him all season. And like, he was the better summer league player compared to him and RJ Barrett. So, if that didn't grab their attention, which I'm, my take is, our, our hopeful take is that he was just squeezed between the sides with all the signings. So maybe now this year will tell me how much they give a shit about him. If he's still in the G League most of the year, then it's not looking good for him. I, I just – second-round pick, stuck in the G League. The CAA regime just moved in. I, I don't think that – I, I really don't want to be mean. I just – I don't think they give a shit about Iggy or Kenny Wooten. You know what I mean? I really just think that they're like, all right, man. Like, like it just seems like they're just, they're just trying to clean up the mess now. You know, whatever – was basically prior that isn't those couple of guys they want to keep but i guess we'll find out uh that it seems like every couple weeks we find a new name is either about to be cut or is cut or whatever so i'm interested to see when we hop on next week who is next on the outs but mike uh, anything else yeah, kind of in that spirit, I have a uh, piece coming up within the next week or so on Devin Booker and why I believe he should be the player that they do make that godfather offer for, whether they get him or not. I don't know, but I think that's the guy they should zone in on for CA connections amongst others. But, yeah, that's coming out soon. Stay tuned for draft profiles. They'll be coming out. A lot of good content on thenextwall.com. So just check that out. Yep, yeah, uh, so – Go check that out. Uh, get your pipe dreams in right now for the next CAA or, or superstar trade that we're going to do. It could be anybody from Donovan Mitchell uh, to 
Devin Booker. So we have, we have a good range of uh, Photoshop options to start working with. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get going on them. Photoshop next, baby. Uh, I, I will say on this note, this is, this is no time to be bringing it up, but the only thing that I, the only guy that I'll ever believe in right now is the Donovan Mitchell thing. That thing has legs. If he hates Rudy Gobert, that's all drama is real. Sometimes like I yeah. hate it. And you know, I hate believing in it. You know, it. I, I hate it. I'm always believing when I see it. The only one that could possibly have like the Booker thing, you'd have to give him a, a super Godfather off with that contract, right? Possible. Right. And we'll talk about this on the next pod with your piece, but just for a preview for the people, this yeah. is when you strike on a Donovan Mitchell. When, when, the Jazz just feel gross about themselves as an organization from the whole COVID thing. And now they got to deal with this and go back to the bubble. And these guys hate each other. This is when you hit them up and you bother them and you try to get them while their senses are off to try to make a deal. This is when you snag a Donovan Mitchell. But next time we will talk about that. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Make sure you're uh, following the Knicks ball on Twitter, on Instagram, on all platforms. Make sure you're following whistle sports uh as we are on the whistle pod network now uh so shout out whistle and that's basically it make sure you're watching out for mike's piece everything else we got coming at the next and we will talk to you guys next time take it easy 10 word responses <laughs> at each other as fast as we can so yeah. I, I i enjoy the open dialogue it's much better uh but so until next time guys talk to you soon take it easy peace peace peace